there, welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Our interview guest today is Stephanie Young of The Athletic on women's soccer. Before we get going, you can sign up for a subscription to my writing site at grantwall.com. It has all my writing, including magazine-style stories and on-site coverage of the men's and women's game. That's grantwall.com. Now, here's my interview with Stephanie Young. Our guest now is Stephanie Young. She's a women's soccer staff writer for The Athletic and has done a terrific job covering the sport over the years. Steph, great to talk to you. Thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me on, Grant. So we're recording this on Tuesday and coming out Thursday. You and Meg Linehan at The Athletic have done tremendous investigative work over the last couple of years. We've just learned on Tuesday that Orlando Pride head coach Amanda Cromwell and assistant Sam Green have been placed on administrative leave at the recommendation of the NWSL and NWSL Players Association joint investigation team pending the conclusion of an investigation into alleged retaliation in violation of the NWSL policy to prevent and eliminate workplace discrimination, harassment, and bullying. The league has frozen any roster movement for now on the team. Is there anything additional to say at this time from your perspective? No, not really. I think uh, that's standard operating procedure when it comes to investigations like this. So who knows how long it'll take. I think you know, you can see we also reported previously on a, another suspension, James Clarkson with the Houston Dash, and that's still, you know, ongoing. So it might give people an idea of the timelines that we're working with here. And at some point this summer, we're expecting the results of the Sally Yates investigation for U.S. soccer into allegations of abusive behavior and sexual misconduct in women's pro soccer. Do you expect some bombshells to come out of that investigation? I mean, it's Sally Yates, so I'm sure she's been digging, digging, digging and has been talking to as many people as she can get her hands on. And it seems like she has like relatively broad discretionary power here and, and at least her ability to in who she's allowed to approach and what she's allowed to ask, you know, without knowing for sure or specifically what that is. So bombshells, I don't know that we'll get bombshells, although at this point I'm just kind of numb to any announcement, as I'm sure a lot of people are. I'm sure more will come out at some point, just people finally being given, you know, a platform to talk about what's going on with them. So Yeah, and, and this is what culture change can look like, and it can be a lot of stuff. And, and when you say you're kind of numb to it, I, I know what that feeling is like, but I still think it's good to have this reckoning and continue to. Um, on the soccer front, it's still early in the season, obviously, but uh, Alex Morgan is off to a big start in the NWSL in the San Diego Wave. Eight goals, twice as many as any other player in the league right now, four of them from the penalty spot. San Diego's leading the league right now. How much of this do you think is connected to Morgan now needing club performance to earn a spot with a national team? I don't think it's unrelated. I think it's great that you know, there's this pressure that not even Alex Morgan is assured of her spot, right? And that's kind of what we've heard over the years coming out of national team camp is that no spot is assured. And I think, you know, for a while, people are like, well, some spots are assured, right? And I think to a certain extent, that's true. But yeah, it does seem like Alex Morgan is playing like maybe her spot depends on it. I don't know how much this Katerina Macario knew. She, you know, injured her ACL over in France 
is going to impact that just because there is some overlap there between where she and Alex Morgan, you know, what they're being, they can be asked to do. Um, and obviously it just opens up a general spot in the forward pool for her. So yeah, I'm, I'm I, I think it is, it is related. I don't think it's the be all end all. I think Alex Morgan also just is <laughs> extremely competitive and wants to win for her club and is, seems very happy down in San Diego. So it's all related. No, that totally makes sense to me. I, it, noting that it is early in the season, obviously, but one thing we're noticing in the NWSL is that teams that did well in the Challenge Cup tournament are struggling so far during the regular season. Why do you think that is? I think some of it is out of their control, um, like a Washington Spirit just getting hit hard with you know, you know tight schedules and then again hit hard with injuries or COVID protocol, that sort of thing. Some of them, you know, I'll point to the flip situation with the Houston Dash, where I think they struggled in the Challenge Cup and are now doing well. They had a coaching change. We mentioned James Clarkson being suspended earlier. Um, so now they're under head coach Sarah Loudon. Um, so I think just some clubs, you know, got their legs under them. Some clubs didn't. And some of it is honestly circumstance. And that's kind of NWSL, right? Where a lot of different things can just kind of whammy you at once. And... I do want to ask you about production quality of some of the the NWSL (laughs) broadcasts. What is up with what we're seeing in some cases on Twitch and and even elsewhere with NWSL broadcast? Right. So as far as I'm aware, I believe NWSL has contracted with a partner to produce their games. And I believe that's Vista World Link. Um, That's been a partner of theirs for a while. And... You know, there's just not as much financial investment going on into quality of camera, number of cameras, production quality on the on the videos, things like that. And then obviously they're having to deal with hopping around on a bunch of platforms. So, you know, what might be good for Paramount Plus streaming may not necessarily work on Twitch. We saw that this last weekend where one of the Twitch streams had a lot of you know, glitches and artifacts, technical details, whatever. But then I looked at a Paramount Plus stream for San Diego Weave, at least live, and I believe this was actually coming from um, Children's Mercy Park uh, in Kansas City. It looked great. It looked relatively crisp for an NWSL production, nice color balance, good audio, and I was like, oh, so it is possible, and I think that's also related to venue, you know. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. By the way, I was in Kansas City over the weekend for the U.S. men's game and got a tour of the uh, soon-to-open officially Kansas City current training facility. And in full disclosure, I've been friends since high school with the owners of that team. Um, It was really impressive. And I know that there's some big new things happening in the league, including the addition this year of San Diego and Angel City. What's your sense? Is like is the bar being raised by some of the new owners in the league and in what ways? Yeah, it's absolutely being raised. This Southern California expansion is I don't want to say overdue. I think the league has rightfully been cautious in its expansion efforts and you know now it's paying off with two teams that look like they're they want to swing big, but they want to swing big in the right ways with the right info on the right backing. And I think up until now so far, they've kind of achieved that. I think it is a change um, in kind of, 
I don't want to say the overall composition of team ownership, but certainly it's demonstrating to other owners like, hey, it is possible to push. Um, we've got to come out of kind of the mindset of the earlier years where, sure, it was justified, like you had to be very cautious, you had to have a tight rein on expenses. And now the longs as well, um, with Brittany Mahomes over in KC, and then obviously San Diego and Angel City, I think they're all betting on, well, this is going to be the new model for a financial investment in women's soccer. I'm very interested in Kansas City, as I'm sure you are, because they're not just going all in on the women's team. It's that there's no men's team attached. And there are other teams in this league that are where the primary focus or the primary ownership is the women's team. They're not like an MLS auxiliary or treated that way. But I think it is going to be an interesting and important template for future expansion, particularly when you're not in like a big blockbuster market like New York or Los Angeles um, with, you know, all due respect to Kansas City as a market that this is something that you can swing big for and it'll have a good return on investment for you. Yeah, I mean, just seeing this Kansas City training facility, basically, it was nicer than any apartment I've ever lived in in my life. And it it seems like their goal is to have a, a training facility where players want to stay all day and and will. <laughs> I mean, it, it, it also seems nuts that facility went up so quickly. Like, mm-hmm. they announced it and now it's gonna, I don't think it's a secret, it's probably ready to open this month. Um, so... Also, along with like supply chain issues globally, I'm just like, what did you guys do to get this building up so quickly? That's crazy to me. It is. It's a really cool story, actually. Um, and, you know, they're building a stadium eventually there, too, just for women's soccer, downtown Kansas City, Missouri on the river uh, in, a state, in a city where there's already a men's soccer stadium. It's absolutely incredible to me. So um, big things happening there. I, one other thing I want to ask you about NWSL before a couple questions on the U.S. women's national team is we're about to see the MLS broadcast deal, the new contract announced. And at least when it comes to games on CBS for the NWSL, so over-the-air free television, that apples to apples, NWSL is drawing just as well as MLS, sometimes a little more, on the big networks like that when they're on and it makes me wonder how much the nwsl rights are sort of undervalued if like if mls is going to get they want to get like 300 million dollars a year we'll see if they actually do that in the next mls package we'll know very soon but are the nwsl rights undervalued they're absolutely undervalued <laughs> so i think nearly every single women's sports property not just women's soccer women's sports media property has undervalued rights. And this is something we talk about constantly about people leaving money on the table because they're just not willing to go for the big valuation. Um, I, uh, I, yeah, I, I, we see it with the World Cup as well, you know, with sponsorship rights. I think you'll have to remind me, Grant, but there's, there's even been articles about how, you know, FIFA really did leave money on the table oh, yeah. because you know the the what they were able to get selling the sponsorship rights and the broadcast or like the commercial rights and everything for the women's world cup and i think it's absolutely the same for nwsl and i think this partnership with cbs is you know another important thing to keep an eye on to see how it goes like given the relative levels of investment because 
you know, we don't know for sure, but I don't think there's the same level of promotion going into NWSL as, as, as there is MLS in terms of like, you know, watch this game and commercials and stuff like that. And yet the return that you're getting is huge. That's always been the story of women's sports, people not realizing that for very little investment, you can get a pretty big return. So why not take a slightly bigger risk, invest a little more? You might be surprised, you shouldn't be, but you might be surprised by like the massive amount of return that you're going to get. So yeah, I absolutely think these rights are undervalued. And I'm really curious to see where the league goes with, you know, shopping those rights around. Well, new commissioner Jessica Berman has just uh, taken over. Curious to see what she does in her position. What I've seen so far seems encouraging. What's your sense? Really too soon to tell, I think. Um, you know, she's not like her predecessor, uh, Lisa Barrett. I know there was an interim, but, um, you know, actual permanent or supposed to be Commissioner Lisa Baird had to face so many crises right away that you kind of could get a sense of, you know, what she was thinking or what she preferred to do with like COVID. And then obviously, with all the the stories of um, abuse and harassment and, and just unhealthy environments in the league, which, you know, ultimately did lead to her resignation. There's nothing like a crisis to kind of give you a sense of who somebody is. And then it's not that I want crisis to strike the league to test Berman. It's just that she's now being given more lead time, it looks like, to adjust and figure out what's going on in terms of like sponsorship and partners and things like that. And I truly wish her all the success in the world because it's good for the league. So the U.S. women's national team has upcoming friendlies against Colombia in preparation for the CONCACAF qualifying tournament for the World Cup and the Olympics for the first time. The big news this week is, as you mentioned, Katarina Macario has done her ACL, unfortunately, after a tremendous season with Lyon. How do you think that will impact things on the national team? I think it's going to have a huge impact because if you look at the past couple of rosters, it's very clear to me that Vladko Endonovsky was structuring things around Macario and he was calling in players that he thought would complement her and he clearly considered her a first choice, whether playing her maybe higher up, more in a nine role or withdrawing her as a, a 10 or you know a central attacking midfielder, her versatility in that spot. It's very important. I think Endonovsky highly values players of the skill sets that allow them to be flexible like that on the field. So I think that it's not like the team is going to flounder without her, but I do think it definitely alters their plans for how they want to set up and who's going to be their first pick, especially in that more central area of the field. Who are some of the big name U.S. veterans who you think might be on the bubble, might not make Andonovsky's roster for these upcoming games in the qualifying tournament? Wow. (laughs) It's a tough question. Honestly, I want to... Okay, so let's just come out and say it. I think Alex Morgan and Kristen Press are two people that you got to look at and wonder, like, what are Andonovsky's plans for these players? We just talked about Alex Morgan, how she's trying to really make a case for herself and how, you know, Macario leaving maybe opens up some room there, at least in terms of just sheer numbers on the roster, if not positionally. Um, Kristen Press is another one who's been playing like her position depends on at Angel City, but hasn't quite found the same 
level of success on the field you know whether it's her own lack of scoring or you know she doesn't have the same setup around her that Alex Morgan has I think Angel City is probably struggling a little bit more now than San Diego are on the field um so it's kind of crazy right to think about uh, a big tournament roster without Kristen Press in in this day and age after everything that she's been able to do for the national team but I just wonder with how crowded that forward roster is with much younger talent I don't want to say much younger she's not that old <laughs> if Kristen Press is old and I'm ancient but <laughs> you know what I'm saying with the the Malpews the Trinity Rodmans um that sort of the Sophia Smiths these are all players who have been playing very well in NWSL recently um I think that makes it a really tough conversation to have but you know what a dilemma to have I think any other country in there will be like, oh, I'm so sorry that you have to choose between like a Sophia Smith or a Kristen Press. Cry more. I guess one question I would have additionally is for players like Megan Rapino and Tobin Heath who have missed some time to injury recently. We don't know exactly where they are. Are you expecting to see them? Those, those are other big name players that where it's like, oh, wow, not on a big tournament roster. We really are flipping into the new generation. And I could see it. Megan Rapino has been building back her minutes with the rain recently. She's been getting more and more. And I think she looks like she's probably on that 45 to 60 minute mark, maybe more. Um, Tobin Heath, huge question mark. Don't know her status. Don't know match fitness. I would... I could see them calling her into camp for evaluation. That's one of the things that Ananofsky likes to do. Um, and I wouldn't be surprised if that was the case, but I would be surprised to actually see her make a game day roster at this point, just because she's been out for so long. What are some of the other big questions in your mind about this national team heading into the qualifying tournament? Honestly, in qualifying, not too many questions just because sadly the level of development in CONCACAF is you know outside of the big three so that's USA Canada Mexico it's it's always a question mark I do think that USA Mexico game is going to be super interesting because Mexico is a team that's been coming along like gangbusters and Liga MX Femenil is like going it's popping off so I think that's a team if you look at them at every level not just senior team but youth level it really seems like they're developing that that whole contingent so that's probably actually going to be the area where I would have the most questions where and it's and it's the last game of of group as well so I think everything's going to build a really nice um home game for them for Mexico really looking forward to that tournament in Monterey uh, I guess just to end up, I have one question on the media side of things. I can't believe it's been three years since the Women's World Cup, and obviously a lot has happened in that time. I personally enjoy covering women's tournaments in terms of, like, I think the media is nicer to each other. <laughs> like... Than for men's tournaments, like you brought up this wonderful, like sculpted bread bakery soccer ball uh, to share with us uh, at one point in France during that tournament. I've also noticed like some basic things, like when there's a group media situation that in women's soccer, people credit who asked the question uh, when they report an answer to something from a player or coach or, or what have you. Why do you think the media is nicer to each other in women's soccer? Because we have to be to survive. 
I don't know how many of your listeners know this, but of the full-time paid soccer writers who only cover women's soccer in the United States, I think there's maybe four of us, which is a like an, a real eyebrow-raising statement. I just saw your little eyebrows go up. And before that, for a couple of years ago, it was probably just one, Meg Linehan. Um, and so I guess we've grown technically 400%. Um, so... Everybody else that you see in this space is doing it part-time, freelance. They have to cover men's soccer or other sports as well in order to make ends meet. You know, I used to be a freelancer. I was working two jobs in order to cover women's soccer, paying out of pocket. And I think we all realize that if we don't help each other out, then it diminishes the quality of coverage of women's soccer in this country. There are a lot of people out there who do really good coverage of women's soccer, but they're literally paying out of their own pockets to do it. So, you know, we all give each other a helping hand, whether it's maybe sharing a hotel room, passing on a transcript, you know, um, crediting each other so that people can be recognized for even being present sometimes is like a huge ask for some of these people. So I think that's a huge part of it. Thanks for sharing that because I think it's important. And also, I, I should say this, that I think the U.S. men's soccer media group is probably nicer to each other than in England. <laughs> but um, but especially on the women's side, I've really enjoyed uh, getting to know you and, and other uh, people covering the women's game. Can't wait for the World Cup next year. But uh, Steph Young, thanks so much for coming on the show. Don't expect another bread ball from me, Grant. It's <laughs> a one and done. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. I'd like to thank Stephanie Young as well as producer Chris Whittingham. You can now sign up for a free or paid subscription to my newsletter at grantwall.com. The best way to support my work is by taking out a paid subscription. See you next time. Mm-hmm.